we, we read to you Matthew 6, uh, 1 through 4. Uh, if you were not here last Sunday, let me uh, try to catch you up a little bit. Um, we've been bringing messages to encourage you to seek God. And what are those things that would help us seek God? Because Hebrews eleven six says he, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then last Sunday we pointed out that there are three uh, main sins or tendencies of our fallen nature that keep us from seeking God. They hinder us from seeking God and drawing close to him. And we said those three sins are greed, pride, and the lust of the flesh. Now these are mentioned and categorized in both Old and New Testaments. First uh, John 2.16, for example, says all that is in the world, and then he names the desires of the flesh, uh, that's the lust of the flesh, Desires of the eyes, that's greed, wanting more and more that you see. And pride in your possessions, the pride of life. That, of course, is the pride part. But here's, here's the thing. They're not always in the same order, but they're basically the same three sins. And then we turn you to uh, Matthew 6 and showed you in Matthew 6 that Jesus gives three uh, 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 spiritual disciplines that will help us in defeating the three main sins. The first sin, the first main sin was, pri- uh, was greed, and in, in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus lays out Uh, giving, how to give. The second is pride. And in in, uh, Matthew 6, verse 5 to 15, Jesus lays out how to pray. Uh, And he even gives an outline on prayer because prayer defeats pride. Because once you pray, once you go to God in prayer, you are automatically humbled. You're coming before the finite is coming before the infinite. And then, uh, what defeats lust? Well, Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18, uh, Jesus lays out the issue of fasting. It's where you just tell your body and the appetites that come from, from the flesh... You just tell them for 24 hours, I'm not going to satisfy you in any manner. I'll drink water, but there's no food, no sex, no drugs, no alcohol, no anything that just makes you happy. I'm serving notice on on my body that you're under my dominion. Fasting. And that is often a neglected teaching today, but it's one that Jesus deals with. And it will give us victory over the flesh. So the first in these three uh, spiritual disciplines is that of giving. 
from the beginning, uh, God was a giver. And he made man in his image. Uh, God gave his son, John 3.16. And the son, the son of God, gave his life for the church, Ephesians 5. And the Holy Spirit uh, gave gifts to the church, 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. Even to the pagans who reject God and worship idols... It says in Acts 14, in past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He did not leave himself, however, without a witness. For he did good by giving you. Notice giving. He did good by giving. He's a giving God. And what did he give? He gave range from heaven, fruitful seasons. He satisfied our hearts with food and gladness. And this morning we're here because of the goodness of God. We, we have, uh, most of us have health, decent health, uh, families. I, I'm going to be leaving here and going home to eat lunch with my family. Uh, most of you will too. We have cars to drive in, in a world where the average income for half the population of the world is a little over $2 a day. Most of us make more than that. Uh, some of you make at least 3 or $4 a day. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> Work with me here. Um, but God is good. He's good to us. This is the kind of God that He is. Lamentations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. This morning, the mercies of God that has already washed over your life. The, uh, all the things He's done for you already before noon. Now, God made us in his image, but the first sin consisted of this. Satan showed Eve the one tree that God forbade them to eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you got all this garden, but there's one that you cannot have. And that was the first thing Satan zeroed in on. He said, let's go look at that tree. He said that to Eve. And she saw it was a beautiful tree. And she reached up and took. And in that moment of inwardness, uh, she turned the giving, outflowing blessing of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit into an inward hoarding attitude of self-preserving instinct. And that has been passed on. She turned and gave it to Adam. So that 
inwardness, what Luther called um, incurvatus se, Latin for turning inward on yourself. It's like in that moment, her spiritual arthritis set in. She was crippled inward, turned inward. But we, we see that in history then it got worse. And the illustration of what happens with, uh, with this tendency to greed is seen in the story of the Old, in the Old Testament called, called a, by a man named Gehazi. Have you ever heard of him? Gehazi was a servant of Elisha. And uh, there was a Syrian named Laban. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, my nose is running. I, but the songs they sang today so touched my heart. It, uh, Christ in me, my only hope. And, I, it just, uh, and so it's left me with a runny nose. Uh, so deal with it, I guess. But so Elisha uh, receives this guy named Naaman who was a Syrian and he had leprosy and someone told him that in the, the God of Israel can heal leprosy. And so he went to Israel and to Elisha and Elisha told him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. First, he didn't want to do that. He thought it was silly, but then he went and did it. And sure enough, after the seventh time, he came up, he was healed of leprosy. And he goes back to Elisha and he says, I can't believe it. I, I'm, uh, this is the true God. You have to remember that this is a turning point in Israel's history because they are now moving to the Gentiles. They're, the God of Israel is going out of the nation of Israel into surrounding pagan territories. This is a turning point. It's a great day. They've learned who the true God is. What is he like? He's a good God. He heals people. And he said to Elisha, Naaman said to Elisha, let me give you money. And Elisha said, no, God does not charge for his goodness. The greatest thing that can ever happen to you is to be forgiven through the blood of Christ. And guess what? It won't cost you a penny. It's free. And, he, and, and Elisha is saying to Naaman, no, this is, the God of Israel is not the kind of God you pagans have where you have to pay them off. No, this is a good God of, and he, his grace is free. He sends a rain on the just and the unjust. His, his, his love in Christ is for the world. So, uh, so welcome to the kingdom. And, and Naaman says, well, praise God, I'm just going to take some dirt from the Holy Land. And if you don't mind, Elisha, I'm going to take it back with me to Syria. And when I kneel in prayer in Syria, I'm going to kneel on holy ground and pray to the God of Israel, not pagan gods in Syria. He was converted. And so... Elisha said, well, God bless. He turned his chariot and started towards Syria. And the servant of Elisha named Gehazi thought, oh, well, he missed a good chance to make some quick money. And so he went out the back door and ran after him. 
Naaman looked and saw him coming, and he said, is everything okay? And he said, yes, uh, but we had a couple of uh, preachers come by, and they need some help. Uh, maybe if you could spare a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, I'll read this to you from the Living Bible, 2 Kings 5.22. My master sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hills of Ephraim arrived and, and he would like $2,000 in silver and two new suits to give to him. And Naaman said, here, take $4,000. So he gave him two expensive robes, tied the money in bags and had his servants carry them back. <laughs> so Gehazi seized the opportunity, made him four grand. And he comes back and... Elisha says to him, Gehazi, where you been? Nowhere. And Elisha said, I know where you been. And here's what Elisha tells him, 2 Kings 5, 26. Is this a time to receive money and clothing and farms and vineyards and sheep and servants because you have done this? It's a bad time. This was a crucial point in the history of missions. He said, because you have done this, Naaman's leprosy is now upon you and your children and your children's children forever. And Gehazi walked out of the room a leper as white as snow. Now, what that is teaching us, the symbolism there is that when you just live for yourself and you don't give any, you don't give a hoot for God or his word or his church or his mission, his purpose and passion in life. It's all about you. And you, that is the core of which you run your life. You're number one. If you don't look out for yourself, who will? And it's a rat race and may the best rat win and all of that. You are Greedy. Taking without considering what God is saying to you about your possessions. Taking more than he has given to you. Taking that which is exorbitant. High interest rates that are unreasonable. Taking advantage of the vulnerable. He says, these are things that are rooted in greed. And what he wants you to see is that greed is like leprosy. It breaks out. It, in your spirit, it's like running sores that never heal. It is like pus-filled pockets that are infectious and contagious to the next generation and the next generation after that. So we have to deal with greed. It will destroy us and our children for generations to come. That is the point he's making. In Luke 12, Jesus stayed so far away from fussing and fighting and family conflicts about money that a guy said, Jesus, he was teaching, and he kind of, this young man inter interrupted him. He said, uh, uh, Jesus, would you tell my brother, 
to divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, the parents had died, and one brother took everything. And he appealed to Jesus. You have authority. You can make him do it. But rather than getting involved in that kind of financial conflict, Jesus said, I'm not an arbiter, but I'll tell you right now, you need to be aware, beware of covetousness and greed in your life. In other words, there's something worse than losing your inheritance, and that is becoming uh, just absolutely money conscious, that everything is about your bank account. 1 Timothy 6, 9 Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. When your goal is just to be rich, you fall into temptation, snares, harmful desires that put people in ruin and destruction, and the love of money or passion for money is a root of all kinds of evil. See, it's a root. Greed is a root. It is through this craving that some wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They wandered from the faith. They tend to drop out of church. And they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. It's like if you see a person who has a needle and he's stabbing himself. That's what they're doing. They're laying up these painful stabbings and piercings in the future. So how can we be free of this? How can we secure our future from this kind of pain? And Jesus lays out one, the main thing that deals with greed, and that is you take what's in your hand and you release it. The flow of blessing, the flow of giving, you, you take those hands that are turned inward and you turn them outward. That kills greed. So he says in Matthew 6, 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust is not uh, corrupt. Uh, because he says, now notice this, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. In other words, where you put your treasure, your heart will follow it. In other words, depositing and investing in heavenly things changes the direction of your heart and the affection of your heart. It kills greed. Deuteronomy 15.7 says, If there's any among you and one of your brothers is poor in in your towns... The Lord is giving you. Do not harden your heart. That's Deuteronomy 15, verse 9, uh, verse 7. Do not harden your heart. You see someone who has a need and they're desperate. And you can meet that need. To not give is to become hard. That's greed. We don't want our hearts to be hard. When we sing these praises, we want tears to run down our cheeks. When we deal with our our wife, our husband, we want to be reasonable and humble 
and courteous. We don't want to be hard-hearted. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 19.8? They came to him and asked about, they said, uh, how come Moses permitted divorce? And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your heart. Hard hearts predicts divorce. We, we had a guy years ago, and he told me one time, he, him and his wife coming, coming to church, and he told me that he said, uh, my goal is to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30, and he was on his way. But that was his passion, riches. And it's no surprise that he left his wife and married a younger woman. Why is my heart so hard that I can walk away from a good woman? Greed can harden your heart. If, if there is among you a need, the poor, do not harden your heart, but give to him freely. And your heart should not be grudging when you give, and then the Lord will bless you. See, you're, you're changing your heart when you release your funds. And I, folks, listen, I'm not trying to raise money here. I'm trying to show you how God can save you from greed and its effects in the future on you and your family. You may have money, but if it costs you your heart, you have lost everything. So how do we give? Here's some, just some suggestions on giving that uh, we have gleaned from the scripture. I'll, I'll just walk through these very quickly. Number one, when you give, whether to the church or to a needy person, uh, give quietly. Don't blow a horn. That's what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Give to the God, give to God who sees in secret. Number two, give generously when you give. Uh, man, don't God gives you a cake, don't eat the cake and give him the crumbs. Give generously to God. Luke 6, 6 38. Give and it'll be given to you. God will bring it back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Number three, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we come to the offering, we should be happy and praising God because greed is dying in us. We're being sanctified in that moment when we're releasing these things back to God and His, and His people. Give, number four, give systematically. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Paul said, I directed the churches of Galatians to do this, that and on the first day of every week, each of you put something aside and store it up as he has prospered so I don't have to worry, collect when I come. So there was to be an offering every Sunday on the first day of the week. When you come together, each of you 
Put something aside. See, even our young people can tithe. By the way, that's one thing I'm very proud of our young people because many of them uh, or some of them are taking jobs now and these young people, these teenagers are tithers. It shows up on uh, PayPal and Tithely. These young people are taking their tithes and worshiping God with their tithe money. And it should be that way. And parents, teach them that. Teach young people if they have an income, then they should be a tither. Giving to God, because don't think young people can't be greedy. We want to sanctify our hearts. So he says, on the first day of the week, each of you put something aside. Number five, give expectantly. Uh, I take this from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, where Paul uh, illustrates giving by seed sowing. Uh, it's not bill paying. It's seed sowing. You, uh, when you pay a bill, you don't expect nothing back. You expect another bill. But Paul says, no, it's sowing a seed. When you give, you need to see that money that you're putting in the offering plate or giving to missions or needs, you need to see that as seed because you just scheduled a harvest. Giving is seed sowing. It's farming. And you just put on God's calendar uh, a harvest for your life. I, I brought this little packet these are uh, seeds uh, for flowers. A delightful collection of floral favorites. Uh, we've had them for years, but they're still just little tiny seeds in a packet which have done nothing. But you have to sow them. You have to plant them. But listen, here's what it says. It will bloom in eight to ten weeks from germination. You know what that means? That means I got flowers on, on the calendar. I got a harvest on the calendar. When you sow, you are putting on God's schedule, on God's calendar, a day of harvest in your life. He'll bring it back to you. God's not a taker. He's a giver. And, and, and now listen at this, what he says. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread will supply and multiply your seed. See, you're going to get more seed back for sowing. Uh, seed is not to put in the barn. Harvest is for goes to the barn. Seed is for sowing. And your money that God gives to you, he will supply it and multiply it. It is for the purpose of sowing. Here's my uh, hesitancy, my reservation with the prosperity preachers today. And that is their message seems to be, not all of them, but some of them, is give and you'll get it back. In other words, you are the end goal. But the, in the Bible, 
give and you'll get it back as a harvest so you can then give it again. And you'll get that back as a harvest and you'll give that again so that there's a cycle. That is the operation of the Father, Son, and Spirit. He flows outward and it comes back and it flows outward. This is the dynamic of God in his gifts to men. God told Abraham, I will bless you. Amen. And then what? And you'll be a blessing. Number six, give reverently. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Give reverently. That is, give in a manner that, that is honorable to God. Even when you, when you give, recognize it as an uh, act of worship. In fact, let me give you this verse, Deuteronomy 26.10. Uh, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground to you, O Lord, which you have given me. And now I set it down before the Lord and worship before the Lord our God and rejoice in all the good that he has given so I set it down before the Lord and worship. So that is giving reverently, giving worshipfully. Number seven, giving biblically. We should give biblically. What does that mean? What proportion do we give? I think the proportion is tithing the tenth. And I know that... Uh, Many people object to that because uh, they say that's under the law. But you have to remember, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek 400 years before Moses ever lived. That was given to Melchizedek, the high priest of Jerusalem in that day, of which Hebrews 7 says was a picture of Christ. So I believe giving biblically is, is the tithe. Now, here's a little hint that helps me. Instead of looking at what you're giving, the 10%, whatever that is, look at that 90% God's just put in your hands. Look at what God gave you, not at what you're giving to God. That's what Satan loves to do. Look at the tree you don't have that he says you can't have rather than all the trees you do have. So give biblically. Because what is God doing? He is sanctifying us. He is killing greed in us. There was a neighbor who was talking to a farmer friend and the neighbor had watched this farmer as he had this uh, field of corn. And he, the, he noticed that the farmer always had his sons out there working and driving the tractor and putting in the hours. And the neighbor told him one day, he said, you know, if you really want to raise corn, there's some things you can do that would really help you. And the farmer said, uh, you know, I'm not really trying to raise corn. I'm trying to raise sons. That's what God is doing. 
we think, well, God wants us to give his monies so that he can fund the church and all that. Listen, God is working in you. He's raising his sons. He's killing greed before it kills them and their future. In Matthew 12, verse 13, Jesus told a man who had a withered hand like Eve when she took. Well, how do we get those hands out? And in, in Matthew 12, 13, Jesus said to this man, stretch out your hand. <laughs> Stick it out. And when he attempted to do it, he realized he was whole. And that's what Jesus asked us to do. When we have opportunity to give. This past uh, couple of weeks, we have helped uh, widows who were widows indeed. We have helped single moms. Uh, We have helped uh, uh, people with gas money. Uh, There are uh, various areas in which our church has been involved just in the past 10 days. And we're careful with it. We're careful with our funds because it's a stewardship under God. Every penny is precious and sacred. And uh, so we want you to know it's, it's not wasted. And uh, when you give, we seek to, to follow God's guidance in where it goes to. All right. May God give us victory over greed is my prayer today. Let's pray together.